From the EPR Creation Studio, this is Jason Staples bringing you the Unconquered Podcast. As always, this podcast brought to you by EPR Creations, bringing the best of website development and internet marketing for an affordable price. Just a reminder, they built showthesafeties.com for me, and if you haven't signed the petition for viewing angles that allow us to see the passing game on television, please do so. I do think there's actually been some movement on this. Let's just keep moving it and see if we can get some more uh, traction with moving this around and Tweet that tweet at the show, the safeties uh, Twitter account all, all season with your screenshots and so on. And let's keep passing them to ESPN and the other, uh, the other broadcasters as well. So we're going to do the season preview here. Uh, I'm not going to do a preview of Duquesne this week. I don't think that's really worthwhile, but I am going to do a quick breakdown of the depth chart that was just released and uh, talk about what the schedule looks like moving forward and what, what my expectations for this season are based on uh, what I know, what I think I know, and then uh, what I think I think. So that's where we are. We're going to start once again by uh, calling back to the last episode and I just want to highlight that both the floor and the ceiling have been raised for this team over last year in terms of the roster. Uh, I really think that they did a good job of evaluating their weaknesses and where they had problems last year and filling the majority of those gaps and doing so in ways that will, I think, help keep them from the kind of bottom end of the season that they, that they had last year where things went very poorly. Uh, That said, We're going to get into the depth chart analysis now and talk about where some of those uh, good things are and where some concerns are. So uh, this segment brought to you by Shenandoah Newsma of Shenandoah Realty in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. You can find her at shenrealestate.com, S-H-E-N realestate.com. Tell her you heard about her from the Unconquered podcast. If you need any real estate or need to list your house in the research triangle of North Carolina area. All right, so um, Florida State released the depth chart uh, as expected on Monday, and a few things stood out to me. Uh, I wanted to highlight as we uh, as we discussed the preview on this episode. First thing was, I really was uh, it really stood out to me when you actually look at it on the depth chart as they uh, as they released that. That number one, they are a lot deeper on the on the line of scrimmage than they have been in previous years, in the last few years, and much deeper on the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball than they were last year. One of the ways you can see that is how they've got some guys listed as or, and you know when they're when they're listing the third guy on the depth chart, that usually means that that's a guy that they're trying to signal that they can trust that guy in terms of he's another guy that will actually be in the rotation. Now, last year. They had on the offensive line maybe five or six guys that they could trust on the offensive line. Uh, they had two tackles, and that was it. And one of the tackles was Darius Washington, who was really an inside player who was playing tackle just because he could. And they didn't really have any other tackles that they could trust. So they basically had two tackles that they could trust and then three interior players that they could trust. That would be Babyon Johnson as the primary backup or I guess four guys in the interior that they could trust baby on Johnson as the primary backup. And then the three starters. So that's six guys basically that they could trust. And then when some guys went down with injury, that was very, very bad. And you could see immediate, not just a drop off, which you're going to get anytime you get a backup in there, but a catastrophic drop drop off. Anytime there was a, a non-starter on the field, or there was someone that was having to play hurt because there was just nobody that they could put on that would be better than the hurt starter that sort of thing. That's where they were last year. This year, I think it's pretty evident, both in terms of what, what we know from camp and also then how they, they've divided things up in terms of the uh, the depth chart, that they right now have nine offensive linemen that they can trust. And I think coming into the season, that's pretty good. And once, uh, once Maurice Smith, who that injury was finally addressed a little bit, not with much detail by Mike Norvell, but he was suggesting that they're going to get him back pretty quickly. He's not going to be out there against Duquesne, but he may well be uh, in the in the mix very shortly after that. So in any case, once he's back, then you're looking at essentially 
depending on whether you think of Armella as as a true freshman who's listed as the as the starter at, at uh, left tackle or as the uh, backup at left tackle, if you think of him as one of those that they trust, and I think actually the fact that he's on the depth chart ahead of older guys, I think that does communicate some level of trust there. I think there's nine or ten guys that they actually trust on the offensive line once Smith is back. Maybe ten. Because I think they, they trust him. They trust Turnitin, who's a very valuable swing player. For him to be listed as the backup, or actually really as the or, but really as the backup left uh, or backup right guard, for him to be there, that tells you a lot. He's the guy that if anybody goes down, Turnitin's going to be the next guy. He's the sixth guy right now. And once Smith is back, Turnitin becomes the seventh guy or the sixth guy, depending on which position is needed. So very valuable swing player there because he gives you a tackle that you can actually play with on either side who's not a disaster. And he's, he can play guard and be a, a, a people mover on the inside and be a, a reliable player there. So that's a huge deal. And then you've got Smith, Estes, Schrader, and, and Armella as other backups that I think are ACC-capable backups. So that that's a big difference from where they've been in the past. And then last episode, we broke down how the, the starters are across the board. You expect them to be a tick better than they were last year. So line of scrimmage, significantly deeper. And then on the, on the defensive line, the 10-man rotation is a pretty major difference compared to last year. Last year, I think... My thought was that they had five or six, maybe seven before Briggs went down with injury that they could trust. I mean, Johnson never came off the, off the field. And Keir, uh, Keir Thomas, once he got healthy, really didn't come off all that much either. McClendon was the only other defensive end in the mix that they that they trusted last year. So you had those two who are gone, and then McClendon as the only guys that they trusted. And then on the interior, you really had Cooper and Lovett, and there was a pretty big drop-off to Ray and Jackson, though they did improve as the season went on. Right now, the indication is, I think they've got five defensive ends that are going to actually be in the rotation, guys that they, that they trust, that can play, that are going to have a role. That's McClendon versus Briggs, Warner, and Peyton. And they're going to have five defensive tackles that they can actually rotate and feel like they're going to actually be viable defensive tackles. That's Cooper, Lovett, Ray Jackson, and Farmer. So that's almost double the the rotation on the defensive line, which, again, that helps you stay fresher. And do they have anybody who's like Johnson last year? No. no nobody's going to be that good. But they've got a lot more depth, so the guys are going to be fresher. So, you know, you take the superstar when you can, but... You also prefer to have got, have a fresher group over the course of the season. The other thing that really stood out was transfers, uh, the 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 tra- transfer wide receivers winning jobs. That or for Span, for Deuce Span being an or with Ontario Wilson was really interesting. I did not expect that. Wilson's been nice and consistent. He's been a good player. He's been who he's been uh, throughout camp, and for Span to be in the or position is telling that that tells you that that his ability to make big plays down the field is something that they're going to try to get on the field more more quickly than not uh, and then of course Pittman and Wilson Wilson being an or with Malik McLean and then Micah Pittman winning that job that again you've got three transfer wide receivers who are starters or co-starters and guys that were starters last year who are not in the too deep at wide receiver. That communicates that there's been some improvement there, that you can expect some improvement at that position. And I'm just going to go out again and repeat that when they signed, or actually before they signed, both Span and Wilson, you can go to my Twitter feed and, and take a look at this. Before they signed either player, I basically said, look, both of those guys are difference makers in Mike Norvell's offense. You add those two guys and the offense looks different because those guys can do things that they can't do with anybody else on this roster at this point. Malik McLean being a guy that has a potential to kind of grow into some of that, but Wilson's a freak, man. And Span is a freak. Those guys, they they haven't had guys like that on the roster in a long time. And I think you're going to see 
a pretty significant difference in what those guys look like and what the passing game looks like as a result. And I think you'll see that as early as, as the Duquesne game, but I I'm really interested to see how those guys handle the, the top level coverage that they're going to see from some of the athletes that LSU is going to be able to put out there. But that was another thing that, that, that stood out to me. Now I'm also curious with Washington at center, does can does uh Maurice Smith take that spot back when he returns? So, do, you know, is Washington just a placeholder there? Because I'm not so sure about that. Because Washington, with his movement ability, with his overall size at at 300 now, a little over 300 pounds, and you know, ability to anchor and move and do all the things that Mike Norvell wants at that at that center spot. He very well may just keep that spot. And if that's the case, then all the better. Now you've got a quality backup at center. And you've got a quality starter at center. Now, if Smith does come back and take that spot back, question is, does Washington then slide over and take the right guard spot from Emmanuel? This is a good, these are good problems to have because this is communicating that you've got players that can play at multiple of those spots up front. And you've got some different combinations you can use that could be successful. Now, looking at the, at the overall defense, the other thing that stood out to me, I really like the defensive roster. I think there's some real depth there. I think overall they're in position where that should be a really good defense, but there's one thing that really has to pan out for that to be the case. This defense is going to go as far as the cornerback position takes them. They've got to get better cornerback play across the board at both spots and also a little bit to some extent in the in the nickel spot. But this defense is going to be dependent on whether or not those corners can play better. If those corners play better, this is a top 15, maybe even better than that defense in the country. I think this is going to be a really good defense, but it's going to go as far as those corners take them. Now, as we as we talked about on the prior episode, They've got a lot of bodies, and if one guy's not quite getting it done, somebody else is going to be able to step in. The question is, can they hit the ground running in game one, game two, and have guys actually not getting beat down the field for verticals against, say, LSU? If they, if they got the starters right, and those starters are going to be consistent and good at the, at the corners, that's going to be a really good defense. But I'm still kind of wait and see on those corners. They've got, if those guys don't work out, they've got horses behind them. They've got bodies behind them that may be able by the, by mid year to step in and be those guys. So the defense would be that good later in the year. The question is, can they be that good out of the gate? That's, that's the real question for me. The other thing that really could sink the season is obviously a Jordan Travis injury. They, they just don't have adequate depth at the quarterback position in terms of an experienced guy that, that has all the tools that you can trust. But, you know, in most places at this point in the college game, if you lose your starter at quarterback, you're going to have a rough year. That's just the way it is. Very few teams, very few programs at this point are carrying two and three quality quarterbacks. It's just not that era anymore. And Florida State is not in that class of team yet. That's where they're trying to get. They're trying to get back to that point. But they haven't been in that spot since 2013. That was the last time Florida State was in a spot where they could absorb a quarterback injury and still be really good. Since then, they've not been there, and it's just gonna. They've they've still got to add some bodies there. So, overall, this is a team that has, as I said before, raised both the floor and the ceiling. They're in position to put out a significantly better product this year than last year. The real question then is, what does that look like when you actually break down the schedule? And that's what we're gonna do next. This next segment brought to you by Luis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, who's the best in the business out there in Jacksonville. Tell him you heard about him from the Unconquered podcast. If you want to sell your house, you go to you go to Lewis. If you want to find the best house for the best price, you go to Lewis. Like I said, tell him you heard about him from the Unconquered podcast. Now, looking at the schedule, a few things I wanted to do in this one. Uh, one is I wanted to kind of take a look at how it compared to last year's schedule, whether it was a harder or easier schedule compared to last year. And I think overall, it's pretty comparable. I mean, at the top end, you have Clemson and Clemson. I think this year's Clemson is going to be better than last year's. I think Florida is going to be 
pretty comparable to what they were last year. So that's, you know, that's a wash. Miami, I think, is going to be better than they were last year. NC State, I think, is going to be around the same level as they were last year. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, LSU is more talented, but not as established in terms of program as Notre Dame last year. So that's probably pretty close to a wash. Uh, And then Louisville's better than they were last year. Uh, You could, I guess, put NC State in the better than they were last year, expected to be better. Uh, And then the rest, you know, Duquesne and Jacksonville State or UMass, basically you can make them a wash, probably Jacksonville State and Duquesne. Uh, Syracuse and Syracuse. Louisiana is better than UMass, and uh, Georgia Tech is not as good as uh, UNC. So I would say overall, Georgia Tech being not as good as UNC makes this a slightly easier overall schedule, although Louisiana is significantly uh, more difficult than UMass. So maybe it's a wash in terms of overall schedule, and it's not an easy schedule. The difference is I think that the way that this team's roster has a higher floor and higher ceiling the way that this team matches up against its schedule is significantly different. So last year I broke down the schedule into five categories, basically of uh, how the talent level shook out. If I put those two teams on paper, who would I expect to win? And I basically did it this way. There were, there's the significant advantage category, so significant, significant edge. There's the should win category, the coin flip category, the should lose category and the flat outmatched category. This is the probably can't block them category. So last year, there were three teams that I put in the significant advantage category. These are games that you should be able to pencil in as wins in the, in the preseason. And that was Jacksonville state. Oops. UMass and Syracuse. And they won two out of those three. And the Jacksonville state one was a, of course a debacle and was the difference between going to a bowl and not. Then you had the should win category, which was Louisville and NC State. And unfortunately, they played both of those games with a one-legged quarterback and you know struggled uh, significantly. And they lost both of the games that they should have won in the preseason, if you're looking at that. And then there were, there were two coin flip games, the Wake Forest game, where they lost that one, and then the Boston College game, where they won that one. So it makes sense, coin flip, they went one and one. And then there were three games that I categorized as should lose games. And they went two and one in those games. And the one loss was the overtime loss to Notre Dame. That was Notre Dame, uh, UNC, and Miami. So all three of those games were competitive. They, they actually uh, pretty well dominated UNC in that game. But the other two were down to the wire games that you know were on the margin. But those ended up being closer to coin flips than should lose games. And, and so that was a bit surprising. They went two and one and should lose games and went oh and two and should win games, interestingly. And then there were the two overmatched games where basically in the preseason I said it's unlikely that they beat either of these teams because they probably won't be able to block them and you know just physically they're not going to be able to match up. And that was Clemson, and that was a loss and actually a one possession loss up until the very last uh, turnover that we got run in for a, for a score with no time left that didn't matter. And then the Florida loss, which was again a one possession loss. So that was surprising. Looking in from the, they, they actually outperformed in the overmatched games compared to what was expected. So that says something actually about uh, about Mike Norvell and his staff is in the games that that are the circle the opponent games, the games where they were actually outmatched or overall should lose based on roster. They actually went two and three. That's not too bad. It was actually in the should win games and the significant advantage game that they really screwed the pooch. That was the real problem. And that was, again, Jacksonville State, Louisville, and NC State. You change some of those circumstances, and you know those, that, that changes the season pretty significantly. Now, for me, this year, pretty much all of those categories kind of get bumped up. There's basically a game or two that get bumped all the way, that get bumped up into another more likely to win category. So instead of there being three, in the significant edge category this year. I've got four. I think there's four games on this schedule that Florida State should win. And not only should win, but they should win even if Jordan Travis is banged up or not on the, is not playing. There are four four teams that they're playing that they should be able to win with another quarterback other than Travis playing. And that's Duquesne, 
Georgia Tech, at Syracuse, and Louisiana. Those four games. Now, a few reasons for that. One is Duquesne is Duquesne. They're, they're not a good football team. That's an opener. They should blow that team out. It, if that is anything, anything close to what we saw against Jacksonville State, that basically suggests that all of the, all of the progress and all of the, the, uh, the advancement of raising the floor and you know, raising the ceiling and all that, you can throw that out the window. If, that, if that's a close game, buckle up for a really rough season. But I don't think it's going to be a close game. Actually, I think you're more likely to get a game that ends up not happening because of weather than that being game that game being close. Then Georgia Tech, I think, is the worst team in the conference, and that's a team that's going to have trouble scoring on 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 teams this year just because of the overall lack of talent on that roster. So they got one wide receiver, one big receiver who's going to give you trouble, but the guy that scared scared you the most is now going to be the starting running back at Alabama. And defensively, they lost basically their best pieces. So that's a game that they should win. That, that is a, an easier conference game than any they had last year. Then you've got at Syracuse. And, you know, Syracuse gave them all they could handle at home last year. So at Syracuse, you know, maybe, maybe it could be a closer game than what I'm expecting. But I look at the Syracuse roster. You, you go back and you look at what Syracuse looked like in the spring game. I just don't see a whole lot of talent at Syracuse. And I, I think Syracuse is actually going to have a hard time blocking Florida State this year. And I think Florida State is going to be able to run the football as they as they please against Syracuse, given what Syracuse returns on the defensive line. So that that pretty much is that. And then you got Louisiana. And Louisiana, they're actually a decent football team. But I think, again, that's a, t- that's a uh, situation where I think you can kind of pencil that in based on talent, based on overall talent situation. It's a Louisiana team in a, in a transition year with a new coach. They lost a decent amount of talent. I think that's a game that, that Florida State should win. So I'm not going to spend too much time on those four. But I think Florida State, you can kind of pencil in four wins there as likely this year. And I think they're even more likely than what you would be looking at looking at with last year's team against that same schedule. I think the the edge sort of, works even better with the with the higher floor that this team has because against Jacksonville State last year down two linemen and with uh with uh a, a, the quarterback who is playing on one leg that's a very different game than anything you're going to see in terms of uh of up front and difficulties running the football against a lower team lower level team this year I, I think anyway uh last year I had two games in the should win category and those were the Louisville game and the and the NC State game. Once again, NC State game kind of uh, dramatically impacted by Florida State's complete inability to threaten anybody with the passing game with Mackenzie Milton in there. Uh, averaged 1.4 yards per carry against that defensive front. NC State basically didn't respect the pass at all. Locked down the run, and that was the ball game. <laughs> Nothing they could do. Uh, and then Louisville, that was a closer game. They they managed to bring some things back in the second half, but Louisville blitzed the uh, the the defense in the first half with some some longer throws, as we talked about in the last uh, in the last show. Some of those uh, free verticals down the field really gave them trouble, and of course they couldn't uh, contain Malik uh, at, at quarterback. So that being uh, that that that's a significant problem. Louisville is is going to be a a tough one for Florida State as well, but I'm I'm going to go with three this year in the should win category, as opposed to two. Last year you had those two. This year, I think there are three three teams in that should win category, and that's Louisville, Boston College, and Wake Forest. Now this is going to take a little bit more time to talk through, so I'm gonna I'm gonna work my way through those three three programs and talk about why I think they fall where they fall and what I think the likelihood of winning those games actually is. And uh, if, we, if we're thinking about that in terms of, of win shares or win likelihood, uh, we can, you know, I think that's useful. So for what it's worth, those, those games, the, the games that I've got as significant advantage, I've got Duquesne as basically a 1 or a .99. I've got Georgia Tech as a .95 likelihood of winning, 95%. I've got at Syracuse as a 0.9 and at Louisiana as a 0.9. So all of those games are 90% likelihood or more 
uh, of, of winning, in my view. You play those nine times out of ten, you're going to win nine. You play them ten times, you're going to win nine times out of ten. The should-win games, those are games where I think Florida State is more than, say, 70% likely to win that game, but no more than 80% likely. And that's where I, I think the at-Louisville-Boston College and, and Wake Forest games fit. Uh, now, Louisville is going to be an interesting one. They're the one that, that some folks might look at this and go, really, you're putting them in the, in the should-win category out of these? Actually, there are a couple that, that folks might be surprised at there, but I look at this Louisville team, and first of all, culturally right now, Louisville, for all, for everything I understand about that program, they are just a, a nudge away from the ledge. So this is a program that just, just, a, just a little nudge, and all of a sudden things may just completely fall apart there. And Florida State's going to get them on the heels of traveling to UCF. So they're going to go to UCF and then play Florida State. And Florida State's coming off of a bye. Louisville will have played three games in 13 days. Or this will be the third game in 13 days. And they're going to be playing a fresh Florida State team off of a, off of a bye. So just in terms of those factors, I think the, the position of this game in the overall schedule on the year really favors Florida State. This sets up well, even though it's at Louisville. Florida State will be the more rested team, and Louisville may well be coming off of a loss to UCF in that uh, in that prior week. And it's certainly going to be a a difficult game. That's going to be a physical game that they're going to have to play down in Orlando the week before. And of course, they're traveling back and all of that. So that in itself, I think, is something that gives Florida State a bit of an edge in that in that game. If it if all things otherwise would be even, the other thing is that even though Malik. Uh, Cunningham is arguably the best quarterback in the conference. You're looking at a guy that had 1,100 pre-sack rushing yards last year. So if you if you don't count sack yardage last year, ran for 1,100 yards. So as good a run run threat at the quarterback position as there is in the country, and threw for almost 3,000 passing yards. So a great dual threat. A guy that really uh, just he's a tremendous player. The thing is. And, and he gave Florida State some trouble last year. The thing is, I look at this and I go, how many playmakers does does Louisville actually have that scare you? Who do they have that that really causes you heartburn? They're going to be okay on the offensive line. They're going to be they're going to be able to block Florida State better than most. But they got a they got one big play threat. The other major big play threat that they had last year transferred out. The main guy they've got is is their slot receiver, Amari Huggins-Bruce, and Florida State should have some players that can bracket him, can cause some problems there. I'm just not sure, in addition to Cunningham, who they have that's going to cause a ton of plays downfield in this offense. They're going to be a good offense. I just don't see them as a great offense. And then when I look at their defense, last year, their defense was average to below average. They're 64th in defensive S&P+. And then basically they're relying on a set of of transfers, none of whom were guys that I really felt like were were great players coming in. So basically the transfers they're depending on were not as good as the transfers Florida State added on the defensive on the defensive uh, side of the ball. So I think they're going to be so so defensively, and if Florida State is what I think they're going to be in terms of uh, offensively on the offensive line and, and in the running game, I think they're going to be able to run the football against Louisville. I think they're uh, going to have some some matchup edges, and I think they've got more playmakers in this game. So I think this is a game that Florida State should win, looking at it on paper in the preseason. So I'm putting that as a should-win game. I've got that one as Florida State, uh, the likelihood to win that one uh, is at .75 in the preseason. Combination of where it falls in the schedule and just overall having a little bit better situation in terms of defense, well, significantly better defense. And I think Florida state actually has more playmakers on their roster. As long as Jordan Travis is healthy in that game, I think that basically there's a better supporting cast for him than, than what Malik Cunningham is going to have in that game. So that's, that's the first game that I think, 
I categorize as a should win game. Louisville 0.75 likelihood of winning. Then there's Boston College. Now, Boston College is a, is a team that I'm actually higher on than most folks out there, I think. Because I think Jeff Halfley is a really good coach. Uh, I think they've done a, a really good job of of coaching that defense. Um, they're They're continuing to get better defensively. And they're basically, uh, they're still taking on the defensive persona of their coach. And they're going to be more multiple this year. They're going to have some some things that they can throw at you defensively. I think that's going to be a better team than, than folks expect. Uh, and then you combine that with another really good quarterback with Phil uh, Yurkovic. And, and he's got a really good wide receiver, a true big play receiver in Zay Flowers coming back, a guy that could have gone pro last year. He's got, they've got, they've got at least a, a significant weapon in the passing game that if you're not just right at corner, he can give you some problems. Now, the, the place where I think Boston College is going to have some issues, they're replacing four starters on their offensive line. They've got one good one that's coming back at guard, but they they had trouble running the football last year, and now they're replacing that whole offensive line. And I don't think they're going to be better on the on the offensive line than they were last year. So I think defensively they're going to be they're going to be pretty good. They're going to be a, I think a lot better defensively than than Louisville will be, for example. But I think offensively they're going to be limited more. Even though they do have that one playmaker out wide with Zay Flowers, they do have a quality quarterback. They're going to have a good tight end. They're going to be able to to do some dink and dunk stuff uh, and then be able to try to beat you over the top some. I think the difficulty of running the football for them is going to be essentially the difference in that game. Florida State will be able to run it on them, I think, and then I don't think they'll be able to run it really as well on Florida State. That's why I put them in that should-win basket for uh, for that game. I've got Boston College also as a .75 chance of winning for Florida State. So... At that point, you've got four games in the plus the nine, 90% plus range, two games in the 75% range, and then we come to Wake Forest. And Wake Forest is interesting because they're a team that a lot of folks think might contend for the conference, or at least thought that before uh, Sam Hartman uh, had some medical issues that have kept him out of camp for a little bit, and it's not clear when he's going to return. Uh, if Florida State plays... Wake Forest without Hartman, I think Florida State's probably a 90% chance of winning that game. With Hartman, Hartman changes some things because of the uh, because of how well he runs that offense and how accurate he is. But ultimately, if you watch Wake Forest last year against Pitt, you could see a lot of the reasons that ultimately I think FSU should be should be favored in this game. And that is that Pitt frankly has a pretty bad defense. And I don't, th- I don't see that defense being a whole lot better this year. They're going to be able to score. I, I think they'll, you know, probably push Florida State's defense as much as any, uh, as much as any team that that, that FSU plays. I mean, At Perry and and uh, and Donovan Green are as good a one-two punch at wide receiver as any team in the conference has. And then you combine that if Hartman's healthy, they're going to be able to throw the football. And they, with the way that they do the slow mesh and all of that stuff, they'll find ways to run it. So they'll score some points. They'll probably score, you know, 30 points again. But the question is, can they keep Florida State from being able to basically run the ball up and down the field? And I don't think they will be able to this year, given that FSU is actually going to have some playmakers. And I think, again, the difference in this kind of game from last year is if you've got a quarter, if, if Travis is at quarterback, first of all, last year, again, Wake Forest was a game where it was Mackenzie Milton and a banged up offensive line. And they couldn't move the football. They scored 14 points, and it was it was just a putrid offensive performance. You take that, and you put Travis back there, presumably, if he's healthy for that game. If he's not healthy, that changes all of the odds here. But if you've got Travis back there, and then you've got the offensive line in the position that it looks like it's going to be, and even if a guy goes down, you've, you've still got some guys that can capably fill in, they're going to be able to run the football. They're going to be able to threaten you down the field. And I think FSU will be able to score points just like Pitt and just like all of the uh, all of the good teams that Wake Forest played last year were able to score points on Wake. And, you know, I think that's where things are going to be. I think that sh- that's a should win game as well. 
So I've got that one as a 0.7 likelihood of winning. I, I think that's a little bit tougher than both both Louisville and Boston College because, again, you've got the quality uh, passing game that they can throw out there with those big wide receivers who can run. But again, to me, this is about which team is more complete on both sides of the ball. I think Wake Forest may have the best unit of either team in terms of the offense. Uh, Wake Forest offense may be better than than any of the other sides of the ball that any other that either of the teams brings in. But I think Florida State's defense is closer to the quality of Wake Forest's offense than Wake Forest's defense is to Florida State's offense. I think ultimately FSU is the more balanced team and should be favored in that game. And then that brings us to the coin flip games. And last year, there were two of those in the preseason. Last year, I thought Wake Forest and Boston College were coin flip games. Wake Forest, as I mentioned before, that was a game with Mackenzie Milton and a banged up offensive line. And that transitioned that from a preseason coin flip to a very likely loss, as we talked about in the pre pregame analysis of that game. And then Boston College, I had as a coin flip, and that ended up being a 26-23 win. Sure looked like a coin flip when uh, when they actually played that game. So they went one and one against the coin flip games, as you'd expect uh, last year. This year, I think there's four of them. And this, again, may surprise some folks, and it tells you that I'm a little bit higher on this Florida State team than some. But I think there's four coin flip games. And I think the first one is the first major game Florida State plays, and that's LSU. And I know there's going to be some folks out there like, wait, what? You've got this as a coin flip? Yes, I have this as a 0.5 coin flip. Likelihood of winning this game is 50%. That may sound crazy, but hear me out on this. And I'm going to have a fuller preview in a week, so I'm not going to spoil all that now. But LSU is starting five. That's one, two, three, four, five new offensive linemen in a brand new scheme under a new head coach. And then they're bringing that together with a transfer quarterback that Florida State, by the way, played a couple of years ago and, and sort of had their way with, even when that was a Willie Taggart era Florida State team. Daniels is a talented quarterback, but I'm, I'm not sure that he's, he's not someone that, that terrifies you quite as much as, say, a Malik Cunningham does. Similar skill set. But Cunningham's the better player. Now, then you say, okay, well, LSU has lots more playmakers. Now, that's true. Florida State's not going to play a better receiver this year than, than, than Boutte. And they've got several other guys that can really cause problems outside. And this game is going to very much come down on that side of the ball to whether or not Florida State's corners can survive. How much can they survive in coverage against what LSU is going to put out there? But the thing you got to remember, they've got five new offensive line starters in a new offensive system in their first game of the season against a team that will have played an earlier game and is going to have a, a, a lot of continuity on both sides of the ball coming over from last year. And then defensively, LSU is going to be very good. They're just going to be very good. And this is close to a don't expect them to be able to block that defensive front game. But ultimately, I think both teams in this, in this game are going to have trouble blocking the other team's defensive line. And frankly, I, I think Florida State is in a better position in terms of program continuity, a quarterback in his third year in a system, wide receivers who can who can make some plays downfield, some running backs who can who can hit big plays and of course LSU's top running back is going to be suspended for that game. This is a game that all of those factors come in, LSU's the more talented overall roster. But those other factors are why in the preseason, I think this is a this is a coin flip game. And again, I may be crazy, but I think those factors and just the way that those position groups match up has this as a coin flip game for me right now. Now, that may change based on what I see against Duquesne and, and other news you know, coming out of Baton Rouge in the, next, in the next week. But that's where I've got it now. The next coin flip game on the schedule 
comes a few weeks after that, and that's at NC State. Now, there are going to be some folks here who are like, there is no way you should have NC State in the coin flip category. This is a really good NC State team. A lot of people have this NC State program as a team that's going to contend for the conference that may may actually win the Atlantic and win the conference. This is the season for NC State, for Dave Dorn and that group to, to finally step forward and, and take that leap. I get it. I think NC State's defense is going to be one of the top two or three in the conference. They're going to be really physical and really good. But the thing you got to remember, NC State last year offensively was not that great. They were, you know, they were okay. But, I mean, how good were they really? Look, Devin Leary, their quarterback, is a really good player. And he had a great stat line last year, almost 3,500 yards, 35 touchdowns, five picks, really good, really good numbers there. But here's the thing. They were, they were only 39th in offensive S and P plus last year or SP plus as, as, as they have to say now, they were only 39th, even with Leary being that efficient at quarterback, they were 39th in overall SP plus because they had so much trouble running the football and their overall inefficiency offensively was a problem. And that was with a first round draft pick at, at left tackle who they're now replacing. That was with Zonovan with Bam Knight and, uh, and Ricky person at running back, both of whom were better than, than what they've got on the roster now at running back. And then Emeka Amezi, who I think was a really good wide receiver, was their best wide receiver for three, four years. He's gone now, too. So, yeah, they have Thayer Thomas at, at slot now and Devin Carter, who's a good player at, at receiver, and they're going to be pretty good there. But how good are they really going to be offensively? How much of a step forward should you expect for that offense, given that they lost their best wide receiver, their two best running backs, their left tackle, who went to the uh, who went to the uh, in the first round in the NFL draft, and then they're going to replace that by sliding over a, a pretty good right tackle to now left tackle, and then plugging in a grad transfer from a D two school at, at at left guard, and then adding a ba- the the prior backup at right tackle. Uh, so you know essentially they're replacing two starters on their offensive line, and they're doing it with a grad transfer from D D2 school and then the primary backup at, at tackle from last year. They're going to be pretty good up front, but they're not going to be quite as good up front as they were last year with those guys there and a first round left tackle. So essentially you've got that they're downgrading at running back. I think they're downgrading at their primary wide receiver and they're going to be better offensively. I can't, I don't think that this is one of the top four or five offenses in the, in the conference. And frankly, if they hadn't had a miracle of a finish against North Carolina last year in Raleigh and then not played in a bowl game. So the last thing anybody remembers is, is those couple big plays that, that won that game snatched victory from the jaws of defeat in Raleigh last year. If that's not how they finished the season, is anybody talking about this team as a 10 win team? I don't think so. I'm just not sure that they're quite as good as as the expectations this year. So I think they're they're probably going to be pretty one dimensional offensively. Now defensively, they're going to be good. I coached against two of their linebackers in high school, and they're both really good players. Now Peyton Wilson has been banged up his whole career, so we'll see how healthy he's able to stay. But they're going to be good defensively. And this is going to be a team that Florida State's going to have trouble blocking. They're going to have trouble running the football on. Last year, they ran for 1.4 yards per carry against this, this defense. Now, again, I think that changes dramatically when you have Jordan Travis at quarterback. His ability to threaten them both with his legs and his arm, I think, changes the whole dynamic of what, of what NC State does defensively. But this is a game where, ultimately, I think this is a coin flip in the preseason. Because I think... NC State's going to have a hard time scoring against Florida State and against Florida State's defense because I don't think they're going to be able to run the football all that well. And I don't think they have a bunch of playmakers on the outside either. So this strikes me as one of those low scoring, you know, 
24 to 21 type games or 28, 27 type games that basically either team can win. Now, if you're going to give a slight edge, maybe you give a slight edge to NC State because Raleigh has been a house of horrors for Florida State to play at Carter-Finley over over the years. Uh, It's a tough place to play. So maybe you give the home team an edge there. But I think even with that, I think this is basically a coin flip game. So I put this in that in that bucket, in that category. The next team that I put that I count as a coin flip on the on the uh, on the roster or on the schedule is at Miami. Now, this one, you know what, probably should be in the should lose category in terms of overall talent on the roster. And there are going to be some folks that are are saying, I'm just putting them in there because, you know, it's Miami and I'm going to be a homer here. Well, you know what? That's my prerogative. (laughs) Maybe this should be the one game in the should lose category or the one that I'm most willing to put in the should lose category rather than the coin flip category uh, just because of overall talent and quality quarterback. I mean, Van Dyke is the better quarterback in this matchup, I think. But I'm not persuaded that Miami's wide receivers are going to be able to 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 help him as much as they did last year. I think the Rambo loss was huge and I'm not sure they have the playmakers on the outside this year that they really need for Van Dyke to do what what he needs to be able to do for them to be to have the season that they hope they're they're going to have. And then you combine that with this being the first season in a new system that I don't think their personnel fits as well as the system that they were running last year offensively. Let's not be let's let's not beat around the bush in terms of uh, you know I was very very uh, complimentary the last couple of years about what I thought they were doing offensively. I mean I think uh, Rhett Lashley is a really good coach at, at offensive coordinator and Josh Gaddis is a good coordinator as well. But I think in terms of what they did with their roster, in terms of how it fit their overall personnel, I think what they did is was was more difficult for Florida State to face than what Josh Gaddis and Mario Cristobal are wanting to do this year, are likely to want to do. If this Miami team is going to try to line up and pound Florida State and then, you know, basically ground and pound and play action deep, you know, play action pass, I think that sort of brings Miami back a little bit. That makes them a little bit a little bit easier to face in terms of personnel. I'm not sure how physical they're going to be up front. Florida State was able to win that matchup up front last year. Miami does have a set of really good running backs that I think they'll be able to run it better than, say, NC State will be able to against Florida State's defense. But this is a rivalry game, first and foremost. And I think one thing we've seen from Mike Norvell is when it comes to these games that are rivalry games, should-lose games, overmatch games, so far he's gotten his teams to over to outperform expectations. And you look at Mario Cristobal's record and his uh, his track record as a as a head coach in those kinds of games, and it's gone the other direction so far. Now, some of that is not necessarily that fair because he's had some, you know, he's been in places for a short amount of time, hasn't always had uh, the, the the personnel to to match up in some of those some of those games. But I just ultimately think that this Florida State team is going to be the more physical team and is going to be able to run the football and stop the run. And Miami is going to be trying to do the same thing. And I think FSU is better up front overall. Now we'll find out, but I think on the road, you give Miami some benefit for that. Overall, I think this is, this is again in that coin flip range. So, you know, 0.45 to 0.45, 0.55, either way, I have no objection. If you think, you know, Miami's 55% likely to beat Florida State. I'm not going to object to that. If you think Florida State's 55% likely to beat Miami, I think maybe that's a little bit of a stretch. But again, I'm not going to object too much. I think this is pretty close to a coin flip. And the final coin flip is the Florida game. And again, this is a Florida team that first year under a new coach, and I think they've got some holes on their roster. I think we saw some of those holes last year. This was a game that was a coin flip last year. And I think Florida State was a worse, a significantly worse team last year than they will be this year. And I think Florida is basically a comparable team. And I think Dan Mullen was a really good game day coach and, and offensive schemer and play caller. So 
you take out the Mullen factor, you add Florida State being a little bit better than they were last year. This is at Florida State. I think this is a coin flip. And you know, some folks might think that this should this this should be in the should win category for FSU, but but I do think that the, that that Florida team does have a really good coaching staff. I think they're better on the co- defensive coaching staff than they than they've been. Uh, and I think again, there's enough talent on that roster that I think this should probably be in that coin flip territory. So so far, I've got Florida State with an edge, significant edge in four games, three games that they should win, four games as as a coin flip, and I have none in the should lose category. I do have one in the overmatched category. This again is the probably can't block them well enough to to contend category. Maybe I should have this in the should lose category than the, rather than the overmatched category. But I think this year's Clemson team is going to be better than last year's Clemson team. I know some folks are skeptical about their about their coaching changes and who they elevated at coordinator and all that. But I think this Clemson team is going to be good. I think they're going to be really good. I think they're going to be scary good on the defensive front. And I'm not sure how well Florida State's going to match up to them. So I'm putting this as a very likely loss for Florida State in a game where I think ultimately FSU is is overmatched in some key spots. Uh, and I, I don't think you're going to be able to rely on Clemson being as as unreliable at the quarterback position as they were last year. They'll, they'll if if Uyunglele is as is as bad as he was last year, uh, then Cade Klubnik, Klubnik's going to come in and, and replace him. So I think they're going to be a better team. I think this is a game that, that Florida State's likely to lose. I've got this as a point two likelihood of FSU winning. So you total all this up, and here's what you end up with. You end up with a one win. You end up with a win against Duquesne, fifty-fifty at, uh, in the LSU game, seventy-five percent chance at uh, at Louisville, seventy-five percent chance Boston College, seventy percent uh, with Wake Forest. So if we're looking at the first five games, we are looking at I by my numbers, three point seven is the likely win total over those first five games. So basically either three or four wins in the first five. So they will be either in most likely range. They'll be either three and two or four and one through the first five games. Those that's the most likely scenario based on my numbers. And then you get to the, the toughest part of that schedule where you've got 0.5 at NC state 0.2 at Clemson or uh, Clemson at, at home. And then, Georgia Tech is a .95, and then at Miami. So if you take that stretch of four games, you wind up with likely win two of those four. And then the final three games of the season, you've got .9, .9, and .5. So out of those final three, and this is kind of how I'm breaking down the season, as it were, you can kind of put it in in these three phases of the season. Or you could break it down into quarters if you want. but Essentially, I think uh, because of the way that you've got Louisville, Boston College, Wake Forest stacked up before NC State, I, I kind of count that as as its own thing. But um, but basically, I've got most likely record as either three and two or four and one through those those first five, then two and two through the next four, and then most likely uh, two and two and one over the last three. And all told, my numbers come out to expecting a 8.15 wins on the year, that being the most likely record, so eight and four. Now, that's higher than what you're getting from the FPI. That's higher than you're getting from S&P Plus, or SP Plus, again. Uh, it's higher than you're getting from a lot, of, a lot of pundits who are saying seven and five is probably the most likely. And I think that's fair. I mean, I, I've got my own skepticism about this we've all been burned by expecting anything out of florida state in the past few years but what i keep coming back to is i think this is a more complete team with a higher floor than what we've seen in the past from florida state i think this is a team where you know defense travels and if you can if you can play defense and and control the line of scrimmage there and you can run the football and control the line of scrimmage on the offensive side of the ball you can win you can win a lot of games on the margin. And I think this is going to be a team that's unlikely to turn it over a bunch with with Travis at quarterback with running the football a bunch. 
So, again, I think they're going to go as far as their corner position can can carry them. You give up a bunch of big plays on the outside, and it's not going to matter what you do elsewhere. But I think this is a team that, that at this point, looking at the current roster, I think the most likely record is 8-4. and four. Now, you get a win against LSU. Let's say you start the season... You win against LSU and you win you win at Louisville. All of a sudden, nine wins is 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 very much in 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 play at that point. So much of this season is going to come down to how well they start. That LSU game is a huge game for the Florida State program, not only because you're playing against an SEC elite, even if they're a little bit down, not only because you're playing against a, a brand SEC team, but because you're basically establishing real momentum for the first time in a long time for Florida State. I mean, you realize the last time Florida State started th- started 2-0 was 2016. Guys, that was six years ago. None of the players on the roster have started 2-0 before. I mean, that's crazy. And so you do that, and all of a sudden you go into Louisville with a bye, and if you start 3 and 0, suddenly you've got a very confident football team. This this that changes the complexion of the season. So, the way I see it is I think 8 wins is is kind of that center most likely area for this team. But this team could win 10 games. Looking at this schedule, they absolutely could win 10 games. There's a path to that. So you win the four games that you have a significant edge in. You win the, the three that you should win. That's seven. Then if you go three and one, again, in the coin flip game, so you basically steal one more than you're, than you're expected to get there, you win 10 games. That's totally not, not impossible. Now, the problem is that this team also could very easily wind up winning five games. Once again. You get Jordan Travis getting hurt against LSU in the first in the first half. You lose against LSU. You lose at Louisville. You lose to a better than expected Boston College team. You lose to Wake Forest, and all of a sudden you start out, and then you go, then you travel to NC State and to Clemson. You could very well start this season one and six before you finally get to a couple teams that you can beat without Jordan Travis, that being Georgia Tech at Syracuse and Louisiana. So I mean, you could you could see this team. It is not impossible that this team with a few bad breaks could go could could go four and eight. It's not impossible. It's also not impossible that this team could win ten. Now, if you want to say, okay, well then find the happy medium between ten and four, that puts you at seven. Yeah, maybe that's right. But ultimately, I think, you know, the likelihood of of Travis going down, especially going down early in the year if it does happen. You can't you can't bank on that. I think with a healthy Travis, the most likely record might actually be closer to nine than seven. So it's going to be a really interesting interesting year. I think this is going to be uh, uh, this is going to say a lot about where Mike Norvell has this program. If they can win eight games and then maybe win a bowl game, or if they can even win nine and then win a bowl game, the, way, the what that does for recruiting especially if you can start with the, with a win against LSU or you can start well in the season what that does for recruiting cannot be it would be hard to overstate it's going to be a really really interesting season like i said i'm going with 8 and 4 as the most likely record i think it's more likely if if jordan travis stays healthy i think it's more likely that they win 9 than that they win 7 cuz i think they've got some playmakers on the outside that are going to that are going to actually make some plays I think they're going to be significantly better on the line of scrimmage. And this is going to be a, a team that, that in terms of overall balance and the way that they, that they match offense and defense is going to be a tough out for everybody. There's one team on the schedule that I think is just a terrible matchup for them, but everybody else I think is basically a coin flip game or, or they're, they should be favored. I know I'm out on a limb here, but you know I was very negative going into last year. You'll remember, those of you who've listened to this podcast for a long time, will remember that what I said last year is, where are they going to score the points? How are they going to score? They don't have any playmakers. This is a team that they're going to struggle to, you know, to win games. And again, I had them last year expected to lose five. And, you know, if they 
taking care of business against Jacksonville State, that basically the expectations for last year were, were right on the money. So as long as they don't do that, as long as they don't lay an egg in, in a game that they absolutely have a massive advantage, I think they're, I think they're in, in line for an eight-win season this year. Maybe nine. But we'll see. That's why they play the games. Looking forward to seeing it this year. And that'll do it for us. As always, this has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. The Unconquered Podcast is brought to you by EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, ShenRealEstate.com in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Garage Makeovers of Palm Beach and Broward County, and the Unconquered Podcast shop at UnconqueredPodcast.com, which features stickers, magnets, and other seminal gear. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. I'm especially grateful to those above the dynasty level. That is Andrew Garrett, Brian Leininger, Jonathan Kennedy, Lee Caswell, Travis Smith, Tyler Kashishki, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Post us on social media and tell a friend. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this.